We're reading this morning from uh, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gate and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same length as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh kerosolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chirophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. 
and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for being a good, good father. We are so encouraged, Lord, by your word. How wonderful you are, Lord. How wonderful your city is. How wonderful you have made us. Lord, we are thankful this morning just to meet in your presence, to talk of things that we can hardly comprehend. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, Lord, that we can turn to it in times of need and in times, Lord, where we're feeling uplifted. You are the same God, and we thank you, Lord, that your glory has no end and you have no end. Lord, pray for John this morning as he's coming to speak, Lord. I ask, Lord, for words of wisdom and for ears of understanding. And ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit pour out and we would receive this, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. Uh, morning, everyone, again. Just want to start this morning by saying that uh, I don't know if we have any visitors from any further afield, but I do know we have visitors from uh, Alco, Nevada, Living Stones. Uh, the church that I, I go to pretty regularly. They're sick looking at me. Uh, but yes, we have guys here from Elko today. So please do make the, those guys feel welcome afterwards when we're having tea and coffee. Make them feel welcome. When I go to Elko and preach, I need to speak really slowly so that they understand me. So I want to see how confused these people can just get today, basically. That's the goal, right? Just how confused can we all make them afterwards when we're speaking to them, right? So, today, Revelation 21, we've been waiting on this one a long time. Uh, Revelation, we've been through a lot of judgment and a lot of uh, nasty stuff that's got, you know, we don't like to think about, but now we're looking at the new heavens and the new earth, the one that we've been waiting on. Let me ask you a question. When you imagine heaven, what do you think of? When you imagine heaven, what do you think of? Well, you know the way I like a good song lyric. I've, I'm, I'm trying to get them in every week. Now, I'm literally trying to do lyrics every week. But if I were to say to you, oh, baby, do you know what that's worth? What would be your reply? That's the stuff. No, it's not rocks. That's Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> oh, 
Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Ooh, heaven, a place on earth. Well, the reality is this. Belinda might not have got her theology all that wrong. Her theology was actually pretty accurate. And the reality is this. One commentator says this, this will be heaven on earth when it speaks of Revelation 21. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11 verse 9. And so it's important to remember that the vision of heaven depicted in the Bible in the end is an earthly one. It's an earthly one. The meek will what? Inherit the earth. Matthew 5. So we must get rid of this idea, rid of the notion that heaven will be clouds, harps, angels with wings, and the likes, because it will be far more tangible, a more tangible existence than that. C.S. Lewis said this, There is no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. All the scriptural scriptural imagery of harps, crowns, gold, etc., is, of course, merely a symbolic attempt. This is brilliant. Symbolic attempt to express the inexpressible. That's a beautiful depiction of what heaven is, to express the inexpressible. People who take these symbols, this is Lewis again, people who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be doves, He meant we were meant to lay eggs. It is symbolic imagery of a new heaven and a new earth. The picture of heaven in Revelation 21 is an earthly one unearthly one. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and that's where the inhabitants of the Lord will dwell. For the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Here's a new creation at long last. No more sin, no more decay, new creation in its fullness. No more, in si- no more sin infecting God's people, completely new. And I saw a, new, a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We have saw that language before used in Revelation. The holy city, new Jerusalem. If anybody can remember, when we looked at that before in Revelation, what that meant was that is the people of God. So, when we read that, a holy city, a new Jerusalem, don't be thinking a a, a literal new Jerusalem. 
This is the people of God that is being described. A holy city, a new Jerusalem, is now fully prepared for her husband. Who's her husband? The Lamb, Christ Jesus. Who prepared her? God Himself. God Himself. And she is coming down out of heaven. This is the church perfected. This is the church perfected, redeemed, fully in Christ, being pictured here in Revelation 21. Right, think about this. At a marriage ceremony, right? At a marriage ceremony, and I'm going to say in theory, that's really important about what I'm going to say next. At a marriage ceremony, in theory, what gives the greatest joy to the bride? Now, I said in theory, because I've been at enough weddings now to know that this ain't true. But in theory, it's not her dress, it's not her hair, it's not her friends, not her bridesmaids, not her father, not her mother. No, what gives the bride the greatest joy in the marriage ceremony is the groom. Again, I see a lot of smiles and a lot of ironic, like, <laughs> that's what you think. But in theory, that's supposed to be the way it is. She is supposed to receive the greatest joy from the groom. And what we have here is when the church descends, made new, perfected, Jesus will be our ultimate satisfaction. Our groom will be our ultimate satisfaction. And we will find our complete joy in Him. Our complete joy. But also, to flip that, at the marriage ceremony, what gives greatest joy to the groom? His bride. His bride. And we are Christ's bride. The church, the perfected church is Christ's bride, and He takes ultimate joy in her. Now, I know it's, it's hard for us as men, right? I, and, and pronouns are a big thing these days, and, and I'm using her a lot for everyone who sits in the room before me as a believer, men and women. You are Christ's bride. He loves you. He is our delight. We are His delight. As Paul writes in Ephesians 5, so that He Himself might present Himself the church in all her glory. He loves His bride. He loves the church. That's what's happening here. That's what we're seeing in Revelation 21. Verse 3 of Revelation 21 echoes Leviticus 26, 11, and 12. Uh, this idea that we become, his, we are His people, His delight. Indeed, He dwells with us. He, he, God fulfills His promise of Emmanuel, God with us. We are His people. He is our God. We are no longer a stiff-necked people, stubborn people. We're no longer chasing after idols, 
like, like has been the story of redemption history the whole way through from the beginning. God's people chasing after idols. That will all cease. That is no more. We are perfect. We are fully fixated on Him. We no longer value God's gifts more than we value Him. We are perfected, and he, we are in perfect relationship with Jesus. He is our gracious King. We are His loyal subjects, and we are delighted in His rule. Verse 1 to 3 describe the positive side of what will be present in heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city. I'm just going to stop. I haven't even in this in my notes, but I just need to, I need to stop and, and, and give you some, uh, why, sea, why does it say the sea is no more? Just a wee bit of like background. Why does it say the sea is no more? The sea in the first century is depicted as tumultuous. That's a great word, isn't it? Tumultuous. It means like, you know, dangerous. And so the picture here is that there is no more sea is a symbolic picture of the fact that there will be total peace in heaven. That's what that means. Again, not, don't take it literally. One of, one, of the, one of the greatest joys, I've told you this before, one of the greatest joys of, of, of my Christian experience, my Christian experience, is when I go to the seaside. Is when I look at the water and I, when I see the sea. I don't like being on it, like some of you freaks, but uh, I like looking at it. And I'm not going to say, I can't stand here and say there will be none of that in heaven. Because that is one of the greatest joys of my Christian experience, is to see the creation of that and to see what that does. This is a symbolic picture of no more, like, distress. There will be no more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, behold, the dwelling place. So you have here, the first three verses are all positive all positive. And then what we see is what will not be present. What will be present? Perfect peace, perfect harmony with God, perfect communion with God, the church perfected. What will not be present? Some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Praise God. Praise God. You see, these verses that show us the reality of what will not be present in heaven are only good news because human suffering is a reality in this world. Human suffering is a reality in this world. And those words, if we read those words and we can't find joy in those words, I don't know. I think it's because we don't… We have, honestly, maybe it's because we haven't suffered enough. But human suffering is a reality where we are. People hurt. People get sick. People die. 
That is the reality of our situation now. And so these words are only good news if that's a reality. Now, some people would argue that we can live lives here on earth that are pain-free, sorrow-free. These people would say, claim the promise. God doesn't want you to suffer. God wants you to be happy. If any of you want to Google Tommy Tiernan, uh, Tommy Tiernan, God wants you to be happy. I, I, I recommend you do that this afternoon. Very funny, right? Uh, claim the promise. God doesn't want you to suffer. Name and claim it. Folks, that is false teaching. False teaching. Those are false teachers. We conquer today in part through our suffering. Through our suffering. Go and read 2 Corinthians. That makes it clear. We conquer through our suffering. Right now, what we have is the promise that God will be with us in our suffering. Not that He will take it away, necessarily, but He will be with us through our suffering. But here's the promise that we're looking at today. The promise is this, that in the end, all suffering will cease for those who love Jesus Christ. All suffering will cease. All of our pain, all of our struggling, all of our anxiety, all of our depression, all of our cancer, all of our heart issues, all of all the suffering that we have ever suffered will cease. Praise be to God. And we will be with Jesus in all His perfection. What a day. What a day. So John paints a, a series of pictures here. He has pictured the church as a new city, built, perfected by God. He has pictured the church as his bride and Christ as her husband. He has pictured himself as this loving king and the church his delight, his loyal subjects. But then we have this fourth picture that this brings up, these words bring up. And it is a picture of us having our tears wiped away. And what is the image here? What is the image that, that the Spirit is giving to John when he's talking about our tears being wiped away? Well, it's the picture. The picture is this. The picture is of a perfect father loving a child. That's what we have here. The picture is a perfect father loving, a perfect father or mother loving their child. Now, when you read that, when you, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Maybe, maybe that's difficult for you to understand. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's difficult for you to understand because the relationships that you have with your parents aren't that or have never been that. And so I get that. that. That is something that I understand. But we need to, as followers of Jesus, what we need to do when we, when we struggle with that, because the reality is for, for a lot of us, that hasn't been our experience. It hasn't been our experience. Like, my father told me when I come in crying about being bored, 
Bertie would have said things like, go and play with the traffic. Do you know? Like, go and sport with the traffic, son. Like, you know, or if I had cried, it would have been, how you wished, I'll give you something to cry for. Like, do you know? This always hasn't been our experience. But what we see in these verses is a perfect father loving his hurting child, wiping away their tears. It is a beautiful picture of our Father loving us, caring for us, protecting us. God will do that for you if you're His. God will do that for you if you're His. He will comfort you. He will, for all your sorrows, for all your pain, for all your mourning, He will hold you. He will hold you. And never again will there be cause for tears. Never again. Now, I want you to do this this morning for me. I want you to use your imagination. For some of us, that might be more difficult than others. I want you to imagine these things. You, free from sin. Free from sin. Creation, free from decay. God as our perfect King, us as His loyal, loving subjects, and you being God's greatest delight. Right, just imagine that. Let me, let me say it again. You, free from sin, creation, free from decay, God as your King, you, His loyal, loving subjects, and you being God's greatest delight. That is the reality of older things. The older things have passed away. There's no cause for tears. God, our loving Father, wipes our tears away forever. It's over. The pain is gone. We can live free in His presence. I don't think we can imagine that. It is too beautiful for our minds to comprehend. But that's the reality. We all long for this, don't we? We do. We long. We, 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 there's something in us 
longs for us to be set free from sin. There's something in us longs for a perfect creation. There's something in us all that longs for a relationship with God. There's something in us because the reality is we all feel the results of the fall. We all feel that we're broken. We all feel that the creation is gro- like not right. There's stuff going on that's not right. We all feel that we, that we don't have this perfect relationship with God our Father as yet. We, we feel that because of the fall, the results of the fall. Like Romans tells us, Romans 8, one of the best, I think one of the best chapters in the whole of the Bible, Romans 8, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. There's the Apostle Paul saying, sufferings now, they, they're nothing to what's coming. They're nothing to what we'll see because we're longing for this perfection that's going to come down the road. For the creation waits with eager longing. There we go. Even the creation is waiting for, for the new heavens and the new earth. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption to obtain the freedom to the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of the universe is groaning for Revelation 21. All of it, us human beings, creation around us, everything we see is groaning for Revelation, to 20, for Revelation 21 to come to pass, for everything to be made new, because everything is broken. Everything is broken. Not just us as humans, but everything we see is broken. That's the reality. John then goes on to talk about the inhabitants of the city, us. John is particularly fond of using water as as a symbol of life and sustenance. He does it in his gospel, John 6, 35. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. He uses this imagery of water over and over again. And now he pictures the city in similar terms, promising to him who is thirsty, I will give to to drink without cost uh, and a spring of a water of life. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take free the gift of water of life. Again, what we have here in the background is Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah says, He who has compassion will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Lo, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost, Isaiah 55. And what we see here in these verses is a completion of the covenants, old covenant and new covenant. John says, whoever overcomes, he who overcomes shall inherit these things. 21 verse 7. This is a fulfillment of both covenants. He who overcomes. Now, I know that those words can cause some, some difficulty for believers. He who overcomes will inherit these things. That, means, that looks like you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to be really, really good, and you need to overcome. 
you know, it can cause us some difficulty. But here's the thing I want to say. These, three, these, these few words are really important. Grace, we believe in grace alone. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? It is grace, all grace. But grace operates through perseverance. Grace operates through perseverance. Those who have been saved by grace will persevere, will overcome. That's what the Bible teaches us. The the doctrine is called perseverance of the saints. Those who have been saved by grace will overcome. So we are the ones who will overcome. It's covenant language. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He will not be hurt by the second death. I'm going back into Revelation here, just how many times it shows us. He who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. This is covenant language of the saved, redeemed people of God. They are saved by grace and they persevere. That's the reality. Jesus gives explicit labels for those who overcome. But he also gives explicit labels to those who won't overcome. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolatries, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Those are difficult, difficult words. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those are difficult, but very, very straightforward words. And so those will inherit, those who will inherit this new earth are those who will persevere, covenant language, those who are washed in the blood of Jesus, who fulfill the new covenant. That's who will inhabit the city. That's who is the city. So then we go on and we see a description of the new Jerusalem. Again, everything. We need to be really careful. Everything is symbolic. Symbolic imagery of what the people of God, what, 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 how they are protected, what they will look like. Everything is symbolic. There's this picture of, of this temple-like structure with dazzling array of jewels, stones, just to remind us of the priestly realm that has went before and the saints that have went before. High walls. What's that all about? That is to show us the protection of God, that we will be protected forever. There are these massive high walls around us. The proportions of the, of the, of the city, the, the city described in, in Revelation 21 are just crazy. 
The city measures 12,000 stadia. Stadia is, a, is approximately 200 yards or 185 meters in every direction. Multiples of 12, again, are used throughout this description to, to, to show the perfection that is there. But basically, if you want to boil it down, the description that we have of the city, are, 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 I can break it down to two things. One, it is glorious. The church, in its perfection, God describes as glorious. And two, we see very clearly the protection of God over the church being surrounded by these walls. Glorious and protected. That's the picture of the church that we see in Revelation 21. Right. As we finish today, I want to read the closing verses of Revelation 21. So what we have is this beautiful picture of the new heaven and the new earth. Who will dwell there? The people of God. They will be His people and He will be their God. What we have is a beautiful description of that, glorious and protected. And then in these last closing verses, I want to I just read them to you. Verse 25, or 26 and 27. They will bring into, in the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Right. So what we've done all morning to this point, like literally all morning throughout my whole sermon this morning, it has been nothing only positive. Look at the glory of God. Look at the glory of, of the people of God. Look at the glory of the church. Look how He loves us and cares for us and, and wipes away our tears. And then in this last line, in this last verse, it says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Let me ask you a question. How many of us in this room in and of ourselves, are clean. Correct. Not one. Not one. And Revelation 21 says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. And that's where the glorious good news of the gospel hits us right between the eyes. It is because of Jesus that we will be able to enter it if we are in Him. Amen? Only because of Him. Only because of what He's done. Only, like, it is all grace. No merit of ours. Nothing we can do. It is all Jesus. We've just saw it. Nothing unclean can enter. That's all of us. We're not getting in apart from Christ. Praise be to God. You should be more excited about that. 
You should be. I'm not joking. You laughed. I'm not joking. We're all dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. Condemned to hell. Yeah? But because of Jesus Christ, we will be free. We will see glory. We will spend eternity in the new Jerusalem with Jesus. I give up. I don't even know if you're saved, have you? Right? Like, honest, for the love of all things. Do we get this? No. No is the answer. You don't get. I don't get that I deserve hell, wrath, everything that a holy God can throw at my direction. And because of Jesus Christ, we've been set free of that. That's what Revelation 21 is all about. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. It is good news. It is good news in the ears of sinful people. Maybe we just don't know how sinful we are. Let me pray. Father, your word is a lamp onto our feet. And Father, today, I hope it has shown us It has shown us what's coming our way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much that you don't just show us what we deserve, but you've also shown us what we will be getting because of Christ Jesus. Help us to praise you, Lord. Help us to fall on our faces and give you the glory that you deserve. Help us to see ourselves rightly. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.